0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's, a, it's always a great joy to be in the house of the Lord, and uh, this, is, this is my favorite place to be. In the week, this is my absolute favorite place to be because I get to see all of you, and, and you are family, and that is, what, that is what Jesus came to do. He came to establish family, and so we're excited to be here this morning, and uh, I just pray that the word would bless you this morning. So I just wanted to uh, sort of remind you a little bit about Pastor Chris's message last week. That he started off a series called uh, "Kingdom Living," and we we're going to be hearing about the kingdom of God for the rest of this year because it is that important. We're going to be hearing little bits about what what is the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom look like? Who is the king? What does it mean to be a subject of the kingdom? Now, we as, as, as British people understand a little bit about the monarchy. There's, there's been a little bit of uh, news in the last couple of weeks about the monarchy. And, and so we, under, we, have a, we have an understanding of what it means to be uh, people, subjects of a kingdom. But we're going to explore the subject of kingdom living for the rest of this year and, and today, what I wanted to do is, um, is just touch a little bit on what it means to be kingdom people and, and how our thoughts drive the way that we live, how our thoughts influence the way that we, we live as kingdom people. So I just want to share with you a little bit of a story. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know me or, or haven't spent uh, any time around me to, to hear my story, um, I'm going to ask for, for some hands. What accent do I have? South African. Welsh. Oh, <laughs> bless you, Lenore. <laughs> Thank you for that honor. So, yes, correct. My, my accent is South African. I was born in South Africa. I was born in a, a city called Port Elizabeth. Uh, it's down on the southeast coast in the, uh, in the eastern Cape province or the old eastern Cape province. Uh, I think it's still actually the East. I think it's Eastern province. It's not Eastern Cape province anymore. Um, And uh, so I was born in in the Eastern province, and um, I I was born to uh, parents Richard and Heather Clark. And um, I was born and raised, in fact, in in Port Elizabeth. I I lived there uh, for about 23 years. And so I consider myself a South African. I consider myself through and through a South African. I, I speak English as my mother tongue. I speak Afrikaans, uh, which is uh, one of the, uh, the, the languages in South Africa. I, I sp- would, wouldn't say I speak, but I dabble in Kosa and, and so I have a little bit of a, an understanding of, of one of the, uh, the African languages, but, but I wouldn't say I'm fluent. Uh, so, so I consider myself South African. Uh, When Wales plays South Africa, I support Wales. (laughs) But when anybody else plays South Africa, I support South Africa. I I just, you know, I value my life. Thank you, Darcy. So so I am South African. And then when I was about 23 years old, uh, I got the opportunity to go and do some studying in the United States. And so I got on a plane, and I flew over to the U.S., and I touched down in Atlanta, Georgia. And for the next seven years, life was very different. Uh, I went uh, to Montana, and I studied in Montana, up on the Canadian border in a town called Bozeman. And I loved living in the U.S. It was a totally different culture. The people spoke differently to the way I did, the people thought differently to the way I had thought, had been raised to, to think, uh, the food was different, the, the way of doing life was different, and it was a completely different kingdom, okay? It was a totally different way of, of seeing the world. And uh, there's this lovely newspaper article that I, uh, I came across once, And we're going to put it up on the screen here for you. Um, And it's a newspaper article quoting um, uh, Roosevelt, and he was one of the presidents, um, Teddy Roosevelt. and, And he said this, In the first place, we should insist that if the immigrant who comes here in good faith becomes an American and assimilates himself to us, He shall be treated on exact equality with everyone else, for it is an outrage to discriminate against any such man because of creed or birthplace or origin. But this is predicated upon the person's becoming in every facet an American and nothing but an American. There can be no divided allegiance here. Any man who says he is an American, but something else also, isn't an American at all. We have room for but one flag, the American flag. We have room for but one language here, and that is the English language. And we have room for but one sole loyalty, and that is a loyalty to the American people. And the Americans are very much like that. There is a loyalty to the country. There is a loyalty to their culture. There is a loyalty to their flag. There is a loyalty to their way of life. And if you come in to America and you want to become an American citizen, the expectation on you is to become American in all things. And they're very, they're very sort of strict on that. Now, yes, they consider themselves a rainbow nation. They consider themselves uh, a melting pot of cultures. Because when you come in, they don't expect you to leave your individuality at the door. But they do expect you to take on the way of thinking of an American. The way of life of an American. And friends, it is very much the same when we become Christian. When you say yes to Jesus, when you step into his life, when you receive his seal and say, I I repent of my sin, I, I recognize that I am unworthy and that Jesus makes me worthy, when you recognize that he is the king and you become part of his kingdom, the expectation, friends, is that we become, in all things, Christ followers. You leave the old behind. The Bible says you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. You leave the old behind. That's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it means when you step into the kingdom of Christ, when you step into his ways of doing things. And, you know, I want to, I want to share with you that part of that thinking, part of that way of living is to have your mind renewed. We know the scripture in Romans chapter 12 that talks about the renewal of the mind. Why the renewal of the mind? Why is that so important? Well, it's important because thoughts have consequences. What you think in your heart, so are you that is that is a scriptural principle that is a scriptural truth from Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 it says for as a man thinks in his heart so is he proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow springs of life what you have in here And what you have in here causes you to behave in a different way, in a certain way. What you have in your heart and the way in which you think are like a pair of glasses that cause you to see the world and interpret everything that you see around you in a certain way. Are you tracking with me? That is called a world view. The way in which you view the world is influenced by your thoughts, your thinking patterns, your thought processes. It's influenced by your culture. It's influenced by your experiences. And all of these things, when we become Christians, When we receive Christ, and we receive his truth, and we follow his instructions, we are reformatted. I grew up in the age of DOS. Okay? For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it was the predecessor to Windows on a computer. Okay? I'm I'm sorry, I'm talking about IT here. Right? So, in the old days... There used to be a command called format. And when you typed format into DOS at the command prompt, it would reset the entire computer. It would erase everything on the computer. When we become Christian, God says, I want to format your life. I want to reformat your system, your operating system, the way in which you think, the way in which you move, the way in which you interpret, the way in which you behave, everything about you, I'm going to reformat. That doesn't mean I didn't create you properly in the first place, because I did. But things have happened, things have got twisted, and you are no longer following my plan, and I want to put you on the right path. And that, my friends, is why we study the Word. That is why we pray. That is why we come together in life groups to talk about things that are happening in our day-to-day lives so that we can be readjusted, nudged a little bit. Sometimes I need my wife to nudge me a little bit to just say, you know, you're on, you're on a trajectory that's not really healthy for you. Notice. Yeah, not really healthy for me. Christmas was not healthy. Far too many, what were those things called, those round chocolates? The lint, the lint balls. Far too many of them. So she's put me onto this, this, uh, this trajectory that's, that's trying to get me right again in terms of my health, my physical health. And Jesus does the exact same thing. He says, son, you're not on the right trajectory. I want to put you on a, on a different path so that you can be healthy in your body, in your soul... And in your spirit. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If there is stuff in your heart, friends, it won't be long before that stuff comes out of your mouth. Think back over the last week of the conversations that you've had, of the words that you've spoken, of the interactions that you've had. Was there anything that was less than pleasing to God? If there was... Ask yourself this, what I said, where did it come from? And then ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation, to shine light on that thing in your heart so that he can help you, heal you, and set you on a right path. Because he wants to. So we talk about this worldview, and and as I say, a worldview is like a lens that affects the way in which you you live your life. It's a way in which you look at the world, you interpret the world around you, and then you live. So I'm going to put up here on the the screen um, a list of about uh, six or seven questions, and I don't know if you can read that from where you're sat, but... These are some questions that I would like to pose to you to see what your responses are. You don't have to shout out your responses, just you know, keep it to yourselves. But look at these questions and think about this. And how you answer these questions will very much give you a suggestion as to how well formatted you are to the kingdom principles Of Christ. Because these questions here are very much what patterns right biblical thinking. So, do absolute moral truths exist? Absolute moral truths. There's not a relativity, there's not a well. There's, there's this option, and there's that option on this decision, and there's, there's this, this possibility, and, well, we could think of... No, absolute, there is one way. Do you agree that the Bible is totally accurate in all the principles it teaches? Not pick and choose, well, you know... Everything from Matthew onwards is cool, but everything before Matthew, well, you know, we, we, we pick and choose what we, what we look at. Certainly those books that talk about hellfire and damnation, we, we, we ignore those because those are un, unpleasant, unpalatable. Think about that. Did Jesus live a sinless life on earth? Sinless from the moment Joseph gave him a smack on the bottom to get him to cry and breathe for the first time through to the day that he breathed his last on the cross. He lived a sinless life. Do you believe that? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe? And does he still rule it today? Do you agree that a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works? Is Satan real? And does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Those questions are simply guideposts for you to begin to think about how am I lining up with a biblical Christian worldview, what the Bible says, what Jesus says about being a follower of Christ. If you've answered no or maybe to any of those questions, I would suggest to you to come along to Bible School. I would suggest to you to chat with your life group pastor about the question that you disagree with. And it's healthy, friends, to have these discussions. It is healthy, especially within the family, to talk about these things and say, well, you know what, Stuart put that question up on Sunday, and frankly, I have a bit of a problem with it. I don't understand, I have a a concern And I I just need to talk to you. I need to talk it through. So please pick up these questions with your life group pastors if you have any questions. Or come and chat with me. Come and chat with Pastor Chris. Come to Bible school. Because these questions are all answered in the affirmative for a biblical Christian worldview. There is no no and there is no maybe in any of those questions as a committed Christian. But interesting, these questions were asked in 1995, 1998, 2002, 2008, and 2017 to about 100,000 respondents who claimed to be Christian, and only 9% of Christians answered yes to all of those questions. 9%. which tells us, friends, that we are living in an age where the Bible is only one source of our information. We are living in an age where the Bible is not the ultimate truth. Facebook pretty much sometimes trumps the Bible because if Facebook says it, it must be true. Well, friends, Facebook lies. Facebook is a tool of the devil... And if I could have my way, the internet would be rid of Facebook and every other social media because it lies to you. It tells you what you want to hear. It tells you what people want you to think. It doesn't tell you the truth. Having a meme on Facebook that says, Jesus is love, doesn't tell you the whole story. Jesus is love, but he is also truth. He is also justice. He is also righteousness. Friends, we cannot put our faith in a world system. We have to put our faith in Christ. There are four questions that frame every worldview, and we're going to put those four questions or four uh, points up onto onto the slide here. Any worldview has to answer these four points. Any worldview, okay? And there are many worldviews. There's modernism, there's postmodernism. there's pantheism, there's atheism, there's humanism, there's secularism, and any other ism that you can possibly think of. Those are all worldviews. They are all ways in which you view the world and interpret the world around you. There's Buddhism, there's Sikhism, there's Marxism, you name it, there's a worldview to cover somebody's preference, somebody's excuse for a sin. But the biblical Christian worldview is also a worldview, and it is the worldview to which Jesus calls us to. And every worldview answers these four questions. And friends... Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 struck me as Pastor Chris was sharing it last week. And if you haven't heard Pastor Chris's message from last week, I would strongly encourage you to get that message through one of the, uh, one of the electronic channels that we have. Yes, it's on Facebook. Facebook. But it's also available on the Internet, on the the Gateway web page. I would encourage you to listen to Pastor Chris's message because it really establishes such a brilliant foundation, such a fantastic, solid launch pad for understanding kingdom for the rest of this year and beyond. But one of, the, uh, one of the passages that Pastor Chris shared last week was from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and and he, he picked a couple of verses out of this. But I'm going to go through all the verses from verse 15 to 23. Remembering those four points, those four considerations of worldview uh, that I identified in the previous slide, which were origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, and I've put up on the screen out of the uh, NIV version. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay. There's a lot of information packed into that scripture. And I would encourage you to take that passage home and... Spend some time meditating on that scripture. Spend some time looking at that scripture. Spend some time listening to what the Holy Spirit would teach you out of that scripture. But I'm going to look at those four points. So if we can go back to those four points, please, Ken, that would be great. The first point... I'm going to just find my uh, my place here. The first point... Is origin. And and the question of origin, where do I come from? is a key question to frame a worldview. The way in which you answer that question very much dictates so much of your life, the way in which you live your life, the way in which you view who you are. And in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 17, It makes it pretty clear who you are. Ken, if you can flip back to the Ephesian scripture, please. It makes it very clear that He is our glorious Father. God is our Father. He created us to be sons and daughters. Our origin is that He is the Creator. We didn't just happen in some primordial goo. We didn't happen to come about by some amino acid and lightning strike. I did not come from monkeys. I was created by a loving, knowable, personal God who knew me before I was born and who knows every breath of my life who knows every hair on my head and when it falls. He knows when I will breathe my last. He knows me. He created me as a loving father. And friends, he created each one of you as well. Not one of you sits here today by accident. He knows you. He created you. He loves you. He is a father that maybe you've not had. He is the Father. He is the Father of light. He is the Father of purpose. He is the Father of love. He is the Father of joy. He is your Father. He created you as sons and daughters. That is the origin answered. Period. Period full stop, end of story, no argument, no exceptions. He created you as a father. Your origin is in a dream of his heart. That's how much he loves you. We know that the world and its systems are under the rule and control of the evil one. But despite that, 1 John 5, verse 19, makes it very clear to us, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the enemy. So, the world around us is under the control of Satan. Pastor Chris pointed that out to us last week, made us think. But that doesn't mean that you are. You have a choice, and you choose God or not God. You choose to believe the truth that God is your father, or you choose to reject that truth. So the question of origin is all about... Who is God? Who am I? And how do I fit into his plan? The next question that we ask on those four questions, so the first, the first point was origin. Where do I come from? The second question is meaning. Why am I here? What is the meaning to my life? What is the meaning to everything that happens to me? And if again, if we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and we look in verse 17 again, It says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. That's meaning. That is the meaning that God has put in your life. Your meaning, your purpose is to know Him better. Pastor Chris, when he first came here to to Gateway, and I know it's it's a YWAM principle as well, we set the vision to know God and to make Him known. Our meaning, friends, as sons and daughters of God, is to know Him. He wants us to know Him. He doesn't want us to know about Him. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to experience Him. He wants us to engage with Him. To know God. That gives us meaning because when you know God and you know his heart, you know everything else about who you are and how you're supposed to live, and you know that the things that are happening around you are not his plan. The chaos and the disaster and the disorder in the world is not God's plan. That's not who God is. That's the enemy. But when you know God, when you know his heart as your father, you know you have, what what does uh, Paul say here? May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. When he gives you that spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit to breathe life, On you, and to say, Son, daughter, this is who you are. This is who the Father is. Let me introduce you to the Father. Let me share with you His heart. And through that, you then begin to interpret the world differently. You begin to see that, yes, there's a lot of despair out there, but Jesus is hope. Yes, there's a lot of darkness out there, but Jesus is light. Yes, there's a lot of war out there, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When you know who God is, He begins to reformat your thinking, your vision, the way in which you see the world. So we've touched on origin. We've touched on meaning. The next point was morality. How do I define what's right from wrong? Verse 15 says this, for this reason, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, your love for all God's people, when you have love in your heart, friends, it is a meter. What, uh, what are those those TikToky things that are? Uh, uh, thank you. Metronome. Love is the metronome of your life. Let's go with TikToky things. Okay. Love is the metronome of your life. When you have love, it centres you. And tells you how far this way you can go, and how far this way you can go. And that, my friends, establishes morality. Verse 17, we've talked about wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation tells you when what you're doing is stupid. (laughs) Let's face it, we've all had those moments when we know we're stepping outside of God's plan into something that is not of His kingdom and not of His ways, the Holy Spirit is there to say, Son, mm, let's, let's, not, let's not go there. That's not healthy for you. And He establishes morality. Psalm 74 is, is one of my um, favorite passages. And it's, it, it's not a great passage in, in terms of a happy passage, but I'm going to read it to you. And it says this. Uh, I'll, I'll read it from up there. There your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries. There they set up their battle standards. They swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest. With axes and picks, they smashed the carved paneling. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. Carrying on. Then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshipped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone and no one can tell us when it will end. When that last bit is true, when we, we no longer see the miraculous signs of God, when we no longer have the prophetic voice, when we no longer have someone who tells us the truth, then all of those things that were before that bit of scripture happen. The, the, the way that I've got it here written in, in, uh, in, in my notes, verse 9 says, we are given no signs from God, we have no prophets left, and none of us knows how long this will carry on. when when that is our default state, when we don't have the word of God, when we don't have his heart, when we don't have uh, his, his signs, then meaningless follows. Chaos and disorder follow. And when we have those things, when we have people speaking into our lives from the Word of God, when people speak truth into our lives, when trusted brothers and sisters bring us correction, bring us direction, bring us alignment, when the Word of God jumps out of the page at us and the Spirit breathes life on it, He brings us to a place where that morality is established as truth. And the last point, friends, out of those four questions. So we've talked about origin. We've talked about meaning. We've talked about morality. And the fourth point is destiny. Where am I going? Where are are we all going? What is the end game? And again, from Ephesians chapter 1, looking in verses 18 and 19, he says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Friends, God is calling us to hope. He is calling us to a life of hope the destiny that is on your life is a destiny of an overcomer the destiny that is on your life is the life of a conqueror that the things that have kept you back would get broken off god wants to establish you as as a catapult he wants to launch you into a hopeful future. If there is hopelessness in your heart, he says, my son, my daughter, that's not of me. Let's do some heart surgery. Let's get that hopelessness out because it's making you sick. And we want, we want to, to bring you hope. We want to encourage you. That's why the prophetic is so important. Because the prophetic word speaks encouragement and exhortation. It builds you up. It edifies you. That's why God's word, the Bible, is so important. When we read the word of God, we get to understand his heart And it begins to change us. It begins to put an anchor in. And it begins to say, God is for you, not against you. So friends, our destiny, we are rich in his purpose. We are rich in his inheritance. We are rich in favor. We are rich in love. We are rich in hope. Do you believe that? Is that where your heart is this morning? Can you say, I am rich because God is for me? And my friends, if you can't say that this morning, I want to encourage you That God's plan is bigger than your current situation. God's hand is for you. His hand is right there. He's saying, son, daughter, reach out. Take my hand. Let me hold your hand. Let me walk with you. Let me encourage you. Let me carry you. His favor is for you. And friends, I want us to to really dig deep today as we, we look at those four points. Ken, if you can put up those four points again for me, please. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why do I exist? What is right? What is truth? And where am I going? With these questions, with these points, God will begin to shape and frame your worldview. And when you begin to to see things that are in your life, maybe patterns or ways that you've established things in your life that perhaps don't fit into the framework that the Bible establishes, He's going to challenge you because He's a good Father. Father. You know, I was watching earlier as Darcy was climbing up and down the stairs. And and how important it is that at this stage of her growth, the hand is not far from her bum. Because one little slip and you know, that could be disastrous. And God is there, he's saying, Son, daughter, I'm with you. I'm as close as a heartbeat. I'm a good father. I want to help you. I want to grow you. I want to encourage you. This is just a stage, friend. This is just a season. The next season will be better. The next season will be better. The next season will be better. They'll have their struggles, they'll have their lessons. But they will be better. The victory will be sweeter. Would you stand with me this morning, please? I want to pray for us that God's worldview would be our worldview, that His perspective would be our perspective. Father, I thank you that you have given us the meaning of life. You have told us who we are. You have spoken, son, daughter. You have called us as your own. Father, thank you that your promise is true. The Bible says your promises are yes and amen. Father, thank you that truth leads us, that we know the truth, that Jesus is the truth, and that he sets us free. Father, thank you that we know where we're going, that ultimately we have been called to your kingdom forever. That is our destination. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe wisdom and revelation on my brothers and sisters this morning. That across this room, you would breathe wisdom and revelation. Revelation that says, if you don't know Jesus, he's here. He wants to meet you. If you've never met him before, he's here and he wants to meet you. He wants to change you. He wants to show you a glorious life. A a filled life. A life of hope and love. A a life of right standing. A life that is firm under your feet. Father, I pray that you would breathe across this room this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would release wisdom and revelation on your people.